0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a daily program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. We're working our way through the two-year version of the RMM Scripture Reading Plan, and I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Psalm 62. I love what Stanley Jackie says about this psalm. He says, this psalm is not so much a prayer addressed to God— as an admonition to oneself. Meditation is often a sermon where the same person is the preacher as well as the audience. I think that is true. David has a wider definition of prayer than many contemporary Christians do. In Psalm 5, David talked about inviting God into his thoughts. For David, that's a type of prayer. David says to God, I- I'm going to be doing some thinking now, God, and I want you to be there while I'm doing it. If I'm taking a wrong step or feeling something I shouldn't be, I'm asking you to correct me. That's prayer. That's meditation. And we see David doing something like that here. He is thinking with the door of his soul open to God. He fluctuates between talking to God and talking to himself, Notice that verse 1 and verse 5 are identical except for the matter of who is being addressed. David is speaking to God in verse 1 and to himself in verse 5. That is the nature and flavor of this particular psalm. David is stressed. David is under pressure and under duress. And he wants to be sure that he is thinking and feeling aright. And as soon as he opens himself up to God, everything changes, as indeed so often it does. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. David begins his thoughts and prayers by focusing on some foundational truths, Before you address what you are confused about or nervous about, remember what you are certain about. David is certain that God is sovereign, that he doesn't change, and that he has decided in David's eternal favor. Knowing that, David is prepared to face his particular challenges. And he begins to speak about them in verse 3. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Now, this is the, really the only translation issue in this particular psalm. The ESV has David speaking, as it were, to or about his enemies and asking them, in essence, How long will you attack a man who is already falling down? The NKJV, on the other hand, has David saying something more confident. The NKJV translates verse 3 there this way how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. And that is how most of the older commentators understood it. Calvin, for example, thinks that David is predicting the eventual destruction of his enemies. He says, David predicts that they would be brought to unexpected and utter destruction like a wall badly constructed and hollow in the interior, which falls with a sudden crash and is broken by its own weight into a thousand pieces, quote. Matthew Henry is on pretty much the same page. He says, he reads their doom, pronounces a sentence of death upon them, not as a king, but as a prophet. You shall be slain, all of you, by the righteous judgments of God, closed quote. Very difficult to tell by looking at the Hebrew, but by and large, I think the older commentators and the older translations actually have it right. And if right, then this verse better harmonizes with the sense and flow and logic of the psalm as a whole. In the wisdom literature of the Bible in general, time and again, we are reminded to take the long view. Those who oppose the Lord and his anointed may prosper for a moment. But in the end, their doom is sure. Verse 4 says, They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Plumer says here, The war against David and against Christ has always been carried on by falsehood. Close quote. Deceit and slander are are the main weapons of our enemy. And it is foolish and naive to believe that any person, any real believer, can escape the battle unscathed. Thomas Scott writes, However blamelessly the believer may conduct himself, he must expect a measure of the same enmity with which the world treated his Savior. When every device was framed, every deceit used, and every slander propagated to cast him down from his excellency." Quote. This is one of the reasons why we have to insist on a certain standard of evidence within the church. The apostle Paul wrote that we should not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, first Timothy 5:19. We have to understand that the devil's playbook, the devil tries to bring down Christian people, particularly Christian leaders, through false accusation and slander. And so one of our wise defenses against that is insisting on a certain standard of evidence. We live in a world where people are convicted in the court of public opinion before any evidence has been brought to bear. The prejudices of the day, the momentum of the culture determine who is right and who is wrong. And, you know, as it says in Proverbs, the one who speaks first always seems right to us. Well, often only one person gets to speak at all. And so in the church, I think we have to do it better. I think we need to insist on a certain standard of evidence because I think we're going to see more and more of this in the days ahead. Our enemy will employ slander and deceit against us. Our enemies will take pleasure in falsehood and curse us to anyone who will listen. David knows that. So he gives his soul some excellent advice. Verse 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. David is telling himself, don't panic when people begin to say things about you that you know are not true. Don't quit the field when the slings and arrows of the enemy begin to fall. Just take refuge in the Lord. Verse six, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Tim Keller gets this right as he so often does. He says, when we are in trouble, our soul chatters to us. We have to have this. This must happen or all is lost. David, however, learned to tell his soul, I need only one thing to survive and thrive, and I have it. I need only God and his all-powerful fatherly love and care. Everything else is expendable when this realization sinks in you will never be shaken closed quote. i think that is very good counsel and david gives it to himself verse 7 on god rests my salvation and my glory my mighty rock my refuge is god trust in him at all times o people pour out your heart before him god is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Frequently in the Psalms, we are reminded not to put our hope in men, in people, be they great or be they common. And this is a fantastic reminder in our hyper-politicized age. The right politician will not bring about revival, nor will the wrong politician bring about the apocalypse. Put them in the balance, and they will barely move the scale. Ultimately, what matters is what God is doing at the moment. Ultimately, what matters is being on the right side of that. Verse 10, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Thomas Scott says helpfully here, reliance on increasing riches, however obtained, is idolatry and totally inconsistent with the life of faith. Close quote. David had been rich, And now he was living in a cave in the desert. At the end of the day, his relative prosperity had very little to do with his actual prospects. Again, what really matters is being on the right side of God. Verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. In the end... Sooner or perhaps later, God will do what is right, what is faithful, and what serves the end of his glory and our everlasting good and no other. That is what believers and that is what David said to himself and to his master. Thanks be to God. Now, the RMM plan has assigned us two Psalms for today, so we'll take a quick look also at Psalm 63. This psalm, according to the ascription, was written by David while he was in the wilderness of Judah. We assume from the fact that he refers to himself as the king in verse 11, that this refers to the time he was in the wilderness while running from Absalom, as opposed to the earlier time when he was running from Saul. Therefore, this is a psalm from the later years of David's life, after he has known more fully the goodness and the presence of the Lord. Here again, God's word from Psalm 63, beginning with the ascription and following into verse 1. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I love what Derek Kidner says here. He says, the longing of these verses is not the groping of a stranger, feeling his way towards God, but the eagerness of a friend, almost of a lover to be in touch with the one he holds dear. Again, these are mature reflections from a man who knows the Lord and who has deep reserves to call upon in times of trouble. Verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And those words just read different when you remember where David was. He he was in the desert, on the run from an advancing army, meaning he was certainly not eating fat and rich foods. And there was no guarantee whatsoever how much longer his life would last. David is saying that this experience of hardship and danger has reminded him of his true soul's delight, more than the pleasures of the palace, more than the satisfaction of achievement. What David loves most is the presence and the goodness of the Lord. Sometimes God allows our cage to be rattled just to see what we hold on to, when it shakes. Verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Once again, the Psalms remind us to play the long game It never pays to oppose the Lord's anointed. As they persecuted David, so they persecuted Christ. And by extension, so will they persecute the disciples of Christ. But their end is certain. All who stand opposed shall perish. They shall be judged and condemned and forgotten. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all those who are loyal to him shall also rejoice in God, as in the case of David, how much more in the case of Christ. Trust in the Lord, endure what he decrees, delight in who he is, and eagerly await the day of his appearing. Old Testament and new, this is wisdom. This is faith. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources, you can find those over at the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope that you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here, for another episode of Into the Word.